Well, I'm thankful um, and excited to have um, good friend Stephen, uh, Stephen McGinnis, who's a pastor at RUF Emory, uh, Reform University Fellowship on Emory campus, here to share God's word with us today. Um, and, I, and I didn't just invite him because I was on vacation and didn't prepare a sermon today, but really do appreciate his preaching and just his ministry on a campus like Emory. Um, and it, it, some of you know we've been supporting RUF, not just here, but also in Hawaii, and um, trying to support the, the really valuable work that RUF does on our college campuses. And I, and I think uh, on a campus like Emory especially, that could be a challenge at times to um, really bring the gospel and God's word uh, to the students there. So I really appreciate what Stephen does. But excited today just to hear from, from God's word through him. So let's welcome him back to, to NCA and, and to, for the first time to Covenant Chapel with a warm welcome. It's, uh, it really is an honor to be here this morning. Um, it's interesting because I, uh, this is the first time that I have been in gathered worship since mid-March. My family has been uh, sheltering in place for worship, and so even just the, the first song that we sang, I started to tear up because uh, I had not heard voices around me singing uh, a song to the Lord. And so it, it's really special that I got to do that uh, here with you all this morning, and thank you uh, to those of you who are joining us virtually, as well as I think about the fact that um, many of us are having to worship virtually. Uh, this psalm that we're looking at this morning, Psalm 42, is very apropos. This is a, a psalm written um, by a, a, an exiled singer or a group that had uh, been sort of pushed away from the temple, from being able to gather together. And so, uh, being able to kind of come to this psalm this morning and experience what that feels like with them, I think is really, uh, really an opportunity to think about what is ahead for us, but sort of where we are in the moment right now. So this is um, Psalm 42. I'm going to read it, and then uh, we'll pray and take a look at this passage. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me continually, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with loud shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep as the, at the war of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? 
As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me continually, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the reading of God's word. Let me pray, and we'll take a look at this passage. Father, thank you for allowing uh, those of us in this room to be together to consider your word. Thank you also for those um, who are listening in virtually for the, the ability even to be able to do that in this interim strange time that we are in, a time that has uh, left many of us wondering where you are, wondering when we will be able to return to church, to work, to gathering with friends and even sometimes with family. Pray and ask for your grace and your blessing for those of us who are in the midst of, of just struggle. We do thank you for those of us, um, Lord, who are in the midst of, of struggle, able to experience joy. And I pray that that is one of the beautiful things that we will be able to see from this text this morning. To open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see what is the glory of your word, the glory of your son through it. May we leave encouraged and challenged. Abide with us, we pray this morning. Amen. So, one of my favorite scenes in film history, uh, and I'm no film critic, but it, it's one of my favorites, is from a film that came out in 1995 called Braveheart. It is a film about this man named William Wallace who is trying to rally clans together to fight for Scottish independence from the English. And uh, you don't you want to, uh, need to have seen the movie to sort of appreciate the scene, but uh, here they are. They're about to fight the English. He's rallied together the clans, but they're, they're very scared. And uh, here comes William Wallace, and he's on his horse, and he starts this sort of famous speech. Maybe you've heard some of it before. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, but in it, he says, he says this, Sons of Scotland, I am William Wallace, and I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You have come to fight as free men, and free men you are. What will you do without freedom? And he goes on, and he, he continues to, to rally them together. And as I think about that scene, I ask the question, like, what's going on here? Why, why does this work? Why does this rally the men together. Well, here they are, many of them about to die. They're scared. Most of them want to turn away. And here comes William Wallace telling them who they are, reminding them who they are, that they are Scots, that they are freedom fighters. And it changes the tide because he is reminding them who they are and what they stand for and where they come from. In the Psalms, are often that way. They, they often work in that way. It is a voice that interrupts the disorientation of life. But there's a difference. The difference is that the Psalms don't just remind God's people of who they are. The Psalms also remind God's people of who He is. 
And that is something that we need so desperately right now to be reminded, again, not only of who we are, but of who God is. And this morning, I want to look at what it means to turn pain and struggle and disorientation away from ourselves and point it towards God in order to find hope. Because the Psalms at the very beginning in Psalm 1 offer an invitation to God's people to do one of two things. You can either take emotion and struggle and feelings and you can point them towards God or you can take all of those and point them away from Him. That is the invitation that the Psalms give us. The Psalms are in more uh, ways probably than ever before what we need so desperately right now. So first I want to look at the disorientation that comes from experiencing loss. This is a psalm of lament. It is a temple singer or temple singers. They probably uh, belong to the Levitical order. They have been exiled. Probably during the revolt of Absalom. And so they are away. And I think it's important to see the profound loss that the psalmist is writing from because loss equals disorientation. Next Sunday, my wife Leslie and I will be uh, celebrating our 17th year of marriage. And on our first year of uh, that celebration, we were in Vermont and we decided that we were going to, before dinner, stop at this mountain and do a quick, like, one mile hike. So we get there and we get in the parking lot. And uh, I look at the map, and I realize, oh, this is, this is a mile. It's nothing. We don't need water. We don't need food. We'll just go hit it real quick and then come back down and then go eat dinner. Well, somewhere along the way on this one-mile trail, we had taken a wrong turn. And uh, I realized pretty soon, I hadn't passed the, the feeling along to my wife yet, but I realized that, that we were lost. I didn't know where we were. I didn't have a map. This was... Uh, before you know, being able to pull up Google Maps on your phone and, and realize where you are. And so I had started to get a little concerned, but I realized that you know, we can't be too far away. We're going to get down there. Well, one hour passes, two hour passes, three hours pass. We're starting to get thirsty. We're starting to get hungry. And the, the most scary part about it was the light was, was starting to completely disappear. And uh, so here we are. We're kind of up on this ridge. I can't see the part. I can't see anything except trees for the most part, and my wife just sort of breaks, and she starts sprinting straight down the mountain off of the trail. She, she's, she's scared. She's disoriented, and I'm yelling after her. I'm running after her. We're hopping over logs and um, holes in the ground. And, you know, Leslie, wait up. Come on. Let's, let's talk about this. Just, just hang on, and so I finally catch up to her, and I grab her, and I say, look, we're, we are going to be fine sort of a white lie at the time. Uh, but you need to trust me. Slow down. Breathe. Let's do this together. Now, just to let you know, we, we made it back to the parking lot. Obviously, I'm still here. Um, and all was well. All's well that ends well. Uh, but what happened? What had happened was a sense of hopelessness, and that hopelessness caused us to become even more disoriented than we already were. And one of the things that I want us to see is that the psalmist is feeling this, this sense of hopelessness and desperation. But in the midst of it, he slows down to remind himself that he is not alone. 
And we're going to explore this, but I, I first want to consider this reality of what do we do with emotions? What do we do with desperation? What do we do with sadness? What do we do with depression? Well, what is the psalmist going through? Well, look at verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. This is the picture not of a deer who uh, is looking for water because he's been running around and he's tired and he's just thirsty from physical exertion. It is a picture of a deer who is living in, in, in a land that is riddled with drought. And he goes from dry creek bed to dry creek bed to dry creek bed not knowing where the water is going to come from. And then verse 3 sort of intensifies this picture that the, the psalmist's tears are his very food. And not only that, but the tears say to him, where is your God? And one of the, the ideas that we pick up here in this psalm, one of the primary things is that sadness is not a departure from worshiping God. Sadness is not a departure from faith. Because I think we often get that notion that, that sadness is a break from being joyful in the Lord and that eventually, when things get better, we'll be able to get back to worshiping. Our faith will be restored once the sadness ends. But as we look at the Psalms and elsewhere in Scripture, sadness is not a break from God. It is a path toward Him. It is an invitation to enter in deeper to relationship with Him. Look at Jesus just to prove the point. Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane with His disciples. And He tells them to wait and He takes Peter and the sons of Zebedee. And He goes a little further and He says to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Now look at verse 5 here in this psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Jesus was experiencing, in a lot of ways, the same thing that the psalmist here is experiencing. But what does he do? He goes to be with his father. He falls on his face and he implores his father to be attended to. I mean, Jesus, the holiest person that has ever walked this earth, was called the man of sorrows. He was called the man of sorrows. The person in whose image we are to be conformed to, as we just read in the New City Catechism. He was a man of sorrows. What are we doing with our own sorrow, with our own sadness. You see, instead of driving us away, profound sadness should drive us towards God. That's faith at work bringing us out of disorientation. How does that happen? How does faith orient us? Well, look at what the psalmist does in verses 4 through 11. He reminds himself of who God is. Verse 4, these things I remember. Verse 5, my soul is cast down, therefore I remember you. Well, what does he remember? 
Well, he remembers that God is his salvation, verse 5. He remembers that God is present, verse 6. He remembers that God's love is steadfast, verse 8, where he says, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. He remembers that God is his rock in verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? And thus, he's able to say in verse 11, Hope in God, for I shall praise him. Another way of putting this is that the psalmist was preaching to his own heart the truth of the gospel, the truth of the promises of God. He is reminding himself of the promises of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous uh, British preacher, said this, We have already seen that the essence of the treatment, according to the psalmist, is that we must really face ourselves. In other words, we must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. Let Let me just say that one line again. We must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. We must take ourselves in hand. We must address ourselves as the psalmist addressed himself and his soul, and ask the question, why are you cast down? He faces himself and talks to himself. He argues with himself, and he brings himself back to the position of faith. Okay, maybe you say, I try, but sometimes it feels like God is not listening or that my own heart is not listening or you've reminded yourself of how sovereign and how powerful God is, and then nothing. What do you do? Or maybe you have experienced something that has, you feel has crushed your soul, and people are reminding you of how sovereign God is, or powerful He is, or of His promises, and it just falls flat. What do you do? Well, two things that at least I'm going to talk about that I think we see here. And the first is that we develop, we cultivate, we curate an eternal perspective. Look at the end of verse 11. Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. If pain and sadness only matters now, it is hard to find joy. But if you are able to start to see it in view of eternity, in view of what is ahead, there's a possibility. There's potential. I work with college, uh, college students, as was mentioned, and so I often think about these things uh, as, as my students might perceive them. And so maybe you've been to college, maybe you're in college, maybe you're thinking about going to college. Even if you know of someone who is in college, I hope that this maybe helps, uh, helps us make sense of what is going on. But imagine going to college and knowing that at the end of it, you would get in your car and you would drive away and you would not have any degree, right? You just sort of experienced what you experienced and then it sort of came to an end. And I think the question that I would ask my students at least is, would you stick around for four years paying what you pay to go to Emory University, putting up with the sleepless nights, dealing with rejection from students or faculty, 
difficult roommate situations, the intensification of mental health issues, and on and on and on. Would you go through all of that? Would you stick around if you would end up without a degree? And most of them would say, absolutely not. No way. I'm not going to pay this money. I'm not going to make the sacrifices if I don't get the degree at the end of it. And so what makes it worth it to them? What makes all of it worth it is, is this degree that they will get at the end of their time in college. It is what allows them to sort of suffer through. And so consider Peter's words in 1 Peter 1, 8-9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We have to be so careful not to get bogged down in the present and feel like when the world is crushing us that there is not something that Jesus has for us and that he is willing to sit with us and to abide with us as we look forward to that day, that moment that is ahead. And so that is really the second thing that we are to do is realize that Jesus is abiding with us. There's a, a Christian psychologist, uh, an author and speaker, and, and he said in a conference I attended one time that pain alone is doubled. Pain alone is doubled. But pain with, pain shared is halved. And we said that, that really hit home. Pain alone is doubled. Pain with is halved. Or, or you could supply another word, sadness alone is doubled. But sadness with is halved. Earlier I read about Jesus in the garden and, and he's praying. You know, if, th if this cup, Lord, can pass from me, please let it be so. But, but he says, not my will, but your will be done, Father. Well, fast forward to the next chapter. And in verse 46, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And what does he pray? He prays, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's because, or for the, the reality and the truth that you never would be, Jesus was forsaken by his Father so that you would never be forsaken. So that we don't experience pain and sadness alone where it is doubled, but we experience with Jesus where it is half. Jesus was forsaken by his Father so that you would never have to be, but until everything is made new, until his return, until we dwell with God in full redemption, there will be pain and death and mourning and sadness. But Jesus entered into humanity to give life where there was death, freedom where there was slavery. But we await that. We await the full consummation. So how does that help us now? It is realizing that Jesus did not go to the cross to give you less sadness. He did not give you, uh, go to the cross to give you less pain or less depression or less struggle. He went to the cross to experience that with us. To experience the sadness with us. To experience the depression with us. And to experience joy in the midst of all of that 
with us as well. And unless we remind ourselves of God's goodness to us in the person and work of Jesus, we will remain disoriented. There's this uh, concept in aviation, or this reality, called uh, vertigo. So some of you might know what, what vertigo is, sort of in a medical sense, where the, the fluid in your inner ear is off kilter and it causes you uh, to not be able to, to uh, keep yourself steady, and, and so you might stumble, and uh, sometimes it can just completely lay you out. But in aviation, it, it, sort, of, uh, it sort of has its own... Um, meaning its own reality. They, they call it, in sort of pilot slang, uh, the leans. Uh, I actually just talked about this with my brother-in-law, who's a pilot, uh, out in Dallas uh, last night. I wanted to kind of run through some of this so I didn't sound like an idiot, in case there are any pilots uh, in here. But really what's happening is that there's a failure to sense motion, position, or the altitude of the aircraft. It is uh, what happens when you cannot see the horizon or sort of establish a visual reference. Uh, it's often caused by a uh, meteorological occurrence, so rain, fog, a really dark night, uh, smoke. In, in fact, there are a lot of uh, pilots who think that um, this is what happened with Kobe's, Kobe Bryant's helicopter pilot, that he, he got into this fog and became disoriented. He experienced vertigo. And um, basically what happens is the fluid in your inner ear causes reality to be completely distorted. And so your plane could be turned, but you think that the plane is going straight. Or the plane could be straight, and it feels like you're turning left. And so your instinct is to say, oh, I need to counter turn to the right. And that can be a fatal mistake. And if you don't know what you're doing, you can enter what is called a graveyard spiral very quickly. And the interesting thing about this is that this can happen to a pilot who only has 10 hours of experience, but it can also happen to a pilot who has thousands of hours of experience. Because you cannot train your body to not experience vertigo. And so, do you know the intensive training that pilots have to go through in order to deal with this occurrence? It's simply instrument training. In these moments of vertigo, pilots are trained not to trust their senses. They're actually trained to sort of reject what their body is feeling and to focus solely on the instruments of the aircraft. And so they will say to themselves, if you will, don't listen to your body right now. Just look at your instruments in order to get out of this. And I think that this is a lot like how preaching the gospel works to ourselves. There are going to be moments in life that are so hard that you will experience spiritual vertigo, spiritual disorientation, not knowing up from down or left from right, not being able to trust what your emotions are telling you or your feelings are telling you. And the Christian must always look to the cross in order for, uh, to be oriented, to find orientation. Friends, we are living in disorienting times. Maybe you are not individually experiencing that right now, but you have friends who are. You have family who are. You have co-workers who are experiencing it. The pandemic, the racial injustice all around, the political upheaval, the financial losses that so many of us are experiencing. 
Or maybe you're a parent and you're disoriented by the fact that you're trying to figure out how to educate your kids now at home while holding down a job. Maybe there is disorientation that comes from fear of getting coronavirus or giving it to your parents, and on and on and on. If you're not experiencing, everyone around you is experiencing this vertigo. And the psalm, this psalm, these psalms, teaches us what to do. To look backwards and to remember what God has done for his people through Jesus and to look forward and to know what he has in store. The sweetness even that I was able to experience here with you all this morning of singing a song together, even though this place is not completely full yet, was a foretaste of what is ahead. And it gives me hope. And when we're able to realize what Jesus has in store for us as the body of Christ that can be experienced here in this building and and out there and in your families right now at home, it is a foretaste of what Jesus has ahead for us. Not just here and now, but in the future when he, when he returns and he restores all that is broken. And how sweet it is to think about that in a way that many of us did not think about before. Because the brokenness and the hurt and the pain of this world is staring us in the face in a way that it has not for many of us. This psalm teaches us to look backwards and to remember, but to look forward and to know what he has in store. To look to Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith, the very instrument of faith itself. And when we are feeling disoriented, we look to the instruments. And the instrument is Jesus. He is the instrument of faith. Let's pray. Father, I admit, I confess that when I get disoriented, I try to trust my own senses. Do this. You can get out of it. But the reality is that it fails me. And there you are, the instrument of faith, there to orient. I pray that we cling, in some ways more than ever, to the faith of your Son. May his faith be our faith. May he provide orientation in disorienting times. Give us his comfort. Give us his peace. Give us his joy, even in the midst of sorrow. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.